up today who's going to share our word. Uh, Derek is the chairman of our elders here at Trinity. And I just think it's super important that we get a chance to hear from him and hear his heart uh, for Jesus, uh, for you guys, for this church once a year. Um, so uh, I'm going to pray for you real quick before you get going. So God, thank you for this man. Thank you for his own story and all the many, many examples in his own life that he's seen the ways that you've been faithful, that you stood with him uh, in all sorts of circumstances. And God, I know that you are not only standing with him, but you are working in him and you're speaking through him. Open our hearts to hear whatever it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Thank you. Am I on? Good? Good? All right. Okay. Thanks for everybody for having me. A uh, couple disclaimers. It's like if you're expecting Pastor Kirk, it's like going to a, a Patriots game and Hoya comes in second string and you're like, what did I do today? So hopefully I can live up to Pastor Kirk and his preaching and how awesome he is and we're thankful that he's leading our church and his wife and a wonderful family. Um, the second thing is today's story, um, sermon will be a bunch of stories and a bunch of PowerPoints and, and not a lot, but uh, I'm a visual guy and just like Jesus did with all his parables and what science tells us that uh, if you just stand here and speak, um, you only trigger two points in your brain. But if you show visuals and you talk about real stories in your life and you know I'm a story guy, it triggers about 27 to 30 different memory sensors in your brain for you to remember. So um, that's uh, so. if you see uh, a lot of slides, just bear with me. The, uh, today's message is faith in the battle, and we're going to talk about Elijah the prophet. Um, before we do that, um, I'd just like to, um, you know, usually what you've seen me preach a couple of times, I get emotional because I talk about my mom. I'm not going to talk about my mom today, so... Um, <laughs> But there's nothing like having your family up here right before you're going to speak, and then her presence comes over here with the Holy Spirit present. So I was trying to like keep it in. I'm like, oh gosh, these guys are going to be so sick of this guy getting up here and crying. So I'm doing my best. I'm just putting that as my last disclaimer. Um, so today uh, we're going to talk about Elijah the prophet. So in the Old Testament, around 900 BC, um, there was this prophet, and his name was Elijah, and he, um, this picture is a picture from Israel when we were on a trip with Trinity. Uh, we went to Mount Carmel, and um, that was a picture of Elijah, the statue, um, and all the things he did on Mount Carmel. We'll talk about that, but that's an actual uh, place we went to as Trinity. It's, it was really cool when I chose this topic. Uh, that's another funny story. Uh, you know, Kirk said, pick a good person in the Bible, and then I'm like, the, am I the last week? Yeah, next week, but, you know, Daniel was gone, Job was gone, the, uh, uh, I, I, Thomas, I started working on Thomas, he was like, do you know Matt did that a couple weeks ago? All right, let's start over. So, um, and, yeah, so that's what happens when you miss a Sunday. Another disclaimer. So, so Elijah the prophet, uh, quite a man of God, he, he's a prophet, which means he hears from the word of God, and he speaks to the word of God and tries to tell people in the area or in the world um, that may not be um, know, knowledgeable of God or acting the same way how they should act. 
So that his time frame takes in an era of a bunch of kings. They're going through kings and kings and kings and kings, uh, and each king is uh, evil in their way. They're um, worshiping false gods, idolatry, different things. And he's in the time frame of the king Ahab, which was considered the worst of the evil kings in the book of Kings. Uh, he just, his evil was amongst all. And Ahab set up a statue um, of the false god Baal. If I say that right, I even listen to a uh, little audio clip how to say it correctly. Uh, it's B-A-A-L, Baal. And uh, Elijah basically um, was telling Ahab and all Ahab's prophets that you're worshiping the wrong god. We have one, one true god and you're worshiping the wrong one. Well, King Ahab, like most kings, were very stubborn and prideful, um, believed what they believed, and didn't really want to have any change in what um, Elijah was saying. <clears throat> so the first thing that Elijah does is he tries to show what God is telling him to King Ahab, what uh, types of things are going to happen that will show Ahab and all the people in the land that God is in control and we're not in control of our life. Uh, whether it be good, bad, or whatever it is, God has a plan. The first thing he does in 1 Kings 17 is he predicts a three-year drought. He goes to King Ahab and, and he says, it's not going to rain here for three years. And then what God tells Elijah to do is go, go off, live near this stream, and I will provide you with water along from the stream, and I'll also provide you with food that are going to be brought to you each day by ravens. So imagine this bird coming and dropping food out of its mouth, and you've got to eat it. Um, but he still provided. No matter which way we liked it, God still provided for Elijah. And Ahab in the area experienced this drought for three years. He also, uh, as the drought began to dry up, I mean, excuse me, the river or stream decided to dry up, God said, get up and go move in with this widow and her son, and they will provide food for you. And so he got up, had another change in Elijah's plan, moved him into this widow's house, and the first thing he does is Elijah tells the woman, can you prepare me some bread? Um, make it, prepare it, and bring it to me. And the woman goes to Elijah and says, I really just have enough left for myself. I don't even have enough ingredients to make this bread. And Elijah tells her that God will provide enough bread for the rest of her life and that she not to worry about it. That's a hard thing. You imagine looking in your cupboard, you have one thing, and then to hear that from somebody who wants your last piece of bread, uh, it's almost like being on an airline when they say, you know, put this on yourself first before you feed your kids. It's the same thing like he was asking for the one piece of bread that she had left. And she's like looking to, I need this for my own son and myself. But what we saw from that miraculous plan is that God provided an abundant amount of food the entire time for the rest of her life. The next thing that happens with Elijah is her son dies while he's living there. And Elijah cries out to God and says, for all that you've done, this widow has accepted me into her house. Why would you allow her son to die and die while I'm here? So he cries out to the Lord 
and the Lord gives the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and raises the son uh, from the dead, and Elijah presents the son to um, the woman and said, this is from our one God that we serve. So then that picture of Mount Carmel with the statue is another story of Elijah. I'm just trying to show you how powerful and how much God provided for Elijah. And like, you know, this guy is the man. I mean, this guy can do anything. He's got the, the hand of God. He's got the power of the Holy Spirit coming down. God speaks to him directly. And he, um, at the Mount Carmel, he goes and challenges Ahab. Ahab has 850 prophets of his own. So I guess he didn't trust anybody because he had to keep getting one person to tell him the right thing all the time. So he kept adding and adding and adding until it would feed his ego and say, I like what you're saying today. So he had 850 prophets. Elijah was the one prophet left in the land that served the one true God. So he goes to Ahab and says, bring out your prophets and let's have a duel. What we're going to do is we're going to build an altar here that I'm going to build, and you're going to build an altar over here. We're going to take a, a calf and sacrifice it and burnt offerings and put it on the altar, and we're going to give it to our God, and you're going to give it to your God, Baal. So 850 prophets, no problem. We accept your challenge. They set up this altar, sacrifice. They pray and dance for all day long for 24 hours, Elijah's looking at him, smirking, you know, where's your God? Why hasn't he set your altar on fire? Because that was the challenge that their God would be able to call fire and set their altar on fire and have a burnt offering. So after about a day, they kind of give up. 850 prophets, 850 people that think they know more than our God, they turn around and come up with nothing. Then Elijah turns to his altar and he so picture this area of uh, wood with an animal on top, and he, he actually, just to prove his power, he digs a trench around the altar, and he tells the men there, go get one jug of water. So he go get a jug of water, and he pours it over the altar, and he drenches the wood. And he says, that's not enough. Go get another one. So go get another one, pour it on the altar, drench the wood even more, saturate the wood. He's like, you know what, just for a third time, let's do it again. He does it again. They come and drench it enough that the trench fills up with water, and the whole altar is pretty much submerged and, and waterlogged. And then he cries out to the Lord and says, show him who the one true God. Fire comes from the sky, sets fire to the altar, and all the prophets and Ahab are in amazement. And they're at that point like, this is the one true God, the one who provides. What happens is Elijah takes the, all the prophets down and destroys all the prophets. And we'll get into that second part of the, of the story. So I'm going to get personal with um, some things that uh, ha has happened in my life. Like, you know, wouldn't you love to have the power of Elijah? That'd be great. You know, when you're in those conversations with your friends that like, there's no God, there's nothing. And you'd be like, yeah, well, watch fire come down you know, roast these marshmallows, watch this, you know, well, let's, let's do this, you know, let's do that, I can, I can, you know, raise people from the dead, I can provide enough food in your cupboard forever, you know, all those types of things, I mean, you wish you could have that, you wish you could have that fire coming from the sky when someone cuts you off and gives you the universal peace sign, you're like, you'd love to go to Elijah, you'd be like, you know, 
Uh, I'm just speaking true. But we don't have that power, right? Um, but we do have the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'll get into that. So as a kid, God, I had some moments where, you know, just like anybody, you're going through, like, who is God? Is he real? Is he, I don't see any of these things that I read in the Bible all the time. You know, all these miracles and all these random things that happen. And, and you start doubting. We talked about doubting autonomous a couple weeks ago. And you start, you know, challenging your faith. You get in that arrow, like, okay, is like the 850 prophets in Ahab, you start to believe what the world will want to tell you versus what the word tells you. So you start, you, you have that challenge, and we all go through that place, even in today. I still go through that, you know, in my faith, like, you know, where are you? How are you providing? And I have to constantly remind that. So I have to circle back, and we'll talk about how Elijah was in that place. I circle back to ways that God had provided in the past that just give me that little piece of hope to keep going. So the first story I'm going to um, talk about is when I was a, um, a young kid at the mouth of the Merrimack. So right there is the mouth of the Merrimack. And my brother's not here. You remember the story. He was part of it. My dad was too. Um, and my mom too. But this is basically the mouth of the Merrimack. So you see those two piers. So that's the river before it goes out to the ocean. Actually, the ocean's on this side. So the river's coming that way. So uh, you can go to the next slide. So one day, um, my brother and I decided my dad and my mom were on the beach. And me and my brother, of course, like any kid, want to go climb the rocks and go way out on the pier. We go all the way to the end of the pier, because that's where you have to go as a kid. You got to go all the way out. And we basically were out there <clears throat> for a long time. We were watching people fish. And then what we didn't notice after a little while was the people on the pier were getting off, right? They were, like, moving in, going in. Um, no one said anything to us, probably because we were too far out, and they didn't want to come out there anyways. And as we're out there, right, I start, I'm older than my brother by four years, so I start to look around, and I'm like, something doesn't look right here, right? Skies were changing a little. Tide was changing a little. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And the, and the next thing I know, if anybody knows about the mouth of Merrimack, it's one of the most busiest, scariest uh, chain of events that can happen so fast that if you talk to boaters that fish, they say you don't want to get stuck in a storm in the mouth of the Merrimack. So here we are, two little kids. I think I was like 11 and my brother was 7. And we're stuck at the end of the a rock jetty all the way out. <clears throat> and... I had a fishing rod and a tackle box that we bought on the way to the morning that my dad bought. I was so scared about losing that fishing, fishing rod and tackle box, and of course I was scared to lose my brother. So the next thing I did, I didn't know what to do. I felt like we were doomed. I started to see people coming down the end of the pier looking at us, and like you could tell, like, this was before cell phones, right? Um, you could see boaters coming in like, should we call a Coast Guard? What should we do? And the next thing I know is, like, I knew that if my brother fell off, he was going to just be washed out because the current would be like that, and it was C. Like, even if I went in after him, I was gone, too. It was just the way it is. So at that point, I had to, like, be like Elijah there and just pray that God would provide. And what he did was miraculous to this day. So I threw my brother over my shoulders, fishing rod, tackle box, and the others, on my shoulders. I didn't want to miss, lose these. I thought my dad was going to kill me. He just bought them, right? 
had my brother on my, on my, like, you know, piggyback, and I stepped. If you could look, that's how it went. It went rocks to water, rocks. And as I stepped, there was a footing. And I stepped, and there was another footing. And I just kept going. Kept my eyes up, scared for my life, but God, as Psalm 42 says, he set my feet on rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I never forget that. Because life gets tough. And he provided, saved my brother, because I wish he was here. I told you I wouldn't cry. I can't do it. <laughs> no. Because as we stood up here with my brother, and the story will go, and I saw that picture of my brother with the three kids, someday you'll hear a story. I tried to get him to come up here. He's scared of public ski speaking like you don't believe. Um, but I wanted him to come up because when I saw that last picture, it's going to circle back into this entire story with all of you and how his life and God provided when he thought he was in a really tough place. And look what he has. Two beautiful um, children and a, a beautiful wife from church and a beautiful extended family. And um, so God does provide. So the next thing I'm going to tell you about is another story. And if you've heard the story, bear with me. I've told it a few times, um, and my family's probably like, oh, not this story again. Um, so that's a great uh, Woody Station wagon Ford from like 1990 to 92. My, that was my buddy's station wagon, it was, except it was green. I couldn't find a green one. My buddy was the first, he was older than us, same grade, but he was the first one to get his license, and we were always um, using him like, Let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere. And his mom had this wonderful station wagon. It would fit everybody in it. And then people in the back. You know those station wagons where the seats would face backwards? You could look out. I don't know why they don't have those anymore. Um, <laughs> but we would go in this car and we'd go to everywhere. So in the summer, we're like free-range kids, right? As long as we were not getting into trouble, our parents would let us go with, with Tom in that car. And um, we... Um, we were driving, and we said, let's go to the Merrimack River, because we heard of a cool rope swing in Andover, near Andover Low Line, that you can swing off and go into the Merrimack River. Ironically, the Merrimack River again. <clears throat> so we're driving, and um, my friends are all Catholic, and I'm Protestant. We're growing up in, in Wilmington, and uh, the joke was, was <clears throat> we would go every, before every football game, we would go to uh, Mass at St. Thomas in Wilmington, and we would go, and I would go up for um, uh, word communion. Thank you. I'd go up for communion, and my first time ever going up for communion, I didn't know what to do. I was in a Mass, and this was right before the, the priest was going to bless us for a football game, which never worked. We got slaughtered all the time, <laughs> right? So he didn't have the Elijah power, but um, so I'd go up, and the first time I, I went up, and I had no clue, and I took this paper wafer, I went back and ate it, and every, every Saturday morning before a game, we'd go to Mass, and we'd get another, another wafer, and my friends would laugh at me, because the first time I went up, I didn't know what I was doing, and they looked at me, and I didn't know what to do, all that, and you know, and the one thing that my mom always said, because I always would ask her, why are all my friends Catholic? And she would always say, it doesn't matter as long as you believe in Jesus. It's just a religion. It doesn't matter what's within the walls. It's, what, it's what's within your heart. It doesn't really matter. So, of course, I'm like, 
the one guy like Elijah here, and, I, and he, they're, not, they're not false at all. They're Christians, but they were, the, they were against me. Like, what is up with your communion at your church? I'm like, why? And they're like, well, you serve Wonder Bread. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, because they had gone to one of our services. And they're like, why do you serve re- like real pieces of Wonder Bread? And I'm like, because it's real bread. <laughs> and I'd battle, and we totally battled back and forth. It was like, you know, me versus them, me versus them, one verse six in the car. And we'd constantly battle, and it was always the joke, and I always felt like this big in the car, because like they would always win the conversation, like, yeah, your church serves Wonder Bread. And then I'd be like, yeah, but you serve like a wafer that leaves a taste in your mouth for like three days, and they're like, <laughs> they, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it, and I'm like, and I know this really doesn't have, you know, it's, we're talking Christians to Christians here, right? But at the end of the day, I was, I was praying. This is another moment. I prayed. I said, God, please show me that you hear me and help me out of this situation because I'm a, a lost cause. I, I can't get anything across these guys. They're getting caught in what other things other than the, what Jesus is. And I didn't say it like that. I didn't have the wisdom to say that. I looked back and said, I just said, can you help me out here, God? You're like, do you hear me? And we were driving, and as we were driving, we came across this monastery uh, that's on River Road in Andover. It's called the Monastery of St. Clair. And as, so, monastery, that's just a picture of the building, but it's a much bigger property, right? It's really big, grounds are real big, gated iron fence all the way around, probably like 10 acres big. So, our journey past it started maybe like a you know eighth of a mile before that as we're looking and i'm like we're all like in amaze like had never we've heard about monasteries we've heard about nuns and monks and uh and all those things and we're like wow what is that they knew about it right because they were catholic and they're like oh that's a monastery yeah you you know this is all really cool so we're going by really really slow right and meanwhile i feel defeated in the back seat right i'm defeated they won that battle right i prayed to god he didn't hear me right? Get me out of anything, you know, and then we're just like, keep going, and I'm just like in that back seat, turned around, self-pitied, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll never win this conversation, and the next thing we do is we all look out, and I look over, and this is what we see on the front lawn, (laughs) right? That's all I did. That's all I did. I was there, I just looked around. That's what it looked like with my little photo editing, right? Right there in the delivery spot of this monastery was a Wonder Bread truck. My God was proved, their God was proved, but they didn't say a word for the next five minutes, right? They literally were like, and I literally just sat up and thanked the Lord in my head. And, you know, that is something how God works. He's got a sense of humor. He really does, right? He will provide, whether it's in a Wonder Bread truck or being uh, rocks under my feet. But they still, this still like one of our stories of the day when we get to the buddies. Because as soon as they stop picking on me for something, we all pick on each other. That's what we do as buddies. You know, I'll just throw out Wonder Bread and they're like, eh, you know. <laughs> Let's move on, right? So, the interesting thing about that is, as you look back as a young kid and in life, you say, 
life is good. I mean, being a kid was great. You know, high school, um, you know, elementary school, all the fun that goes with it, things like that um, where he provided. And, you know, life is really good. And that's how if you read the first uh, half of Elijah, right, he, um, life was good. I mean, the guy could do anything, right? He could bring fire from the sky, he could raise people from the dead, right? He, he could, when he challenged a hundred other prophets, uh, I mean, hundred other soldiers, he had fire come down and destroy all those hundred soldiers anytime they wanted to challenge him. A guy could do anything, right? And in that point in my life, you know, with those two little things, I, you know, I felt like him, like, hey, you know, God has a plan, everything is going to be good, right? Everything is always good. And as we know, as every mature adult or even teenager, life, and even young kids, as we heard today about Joel, well, Joel, is life has its challenges. We just sometimes, you know, know the good stories and hear the good stories. And that's where we're going to continue on, you know, we see what Elijah did, and then all of a sudden we're going to find out a time where Elijah just felt abandoned and where didn't, God didn't really hear him anymore and will prove him wrong. So we're going to um, read from 1 Kings 19. If you want to open your Bible, it will also be on the screen. And then we're going to talk about Elijah um, right after Mount Carmel, right after he had this challenge where fire came from the sky, uh, burnt his uh, saturated altar to the ground. Uh, the, um, the back of the bulletin might have said it was a little shorter than it is. It's a long verse, so bear with me. Uh, I will read it, and um, it is 1 Kings 19. We're going to read 1 through 17, okay? So just remember the backstory. He just defeated King Ahab. King Ahab's wife is Jezebel, right? You've heard of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. Um, so now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow now I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he found himself, went a day journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have said enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back in a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have 
rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous, as he repeated for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back your way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, to succeed you as a prophet. <clears throat> so here we go. Uh, we have Elijah, the powerful, going to a cave and asking that he die. Um, he, he basically was threatened by Jezebel. She was going to kill him. He was fear. He had fear, and he was scared. He was depressed and in despair. He was filled with self-pity. He was too burdened to pray. He temporarily lost his faith in God. He was mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. And he cried out for the Lord and said, take this from me. Have you ever found yourself that way? Filled with fear? Scared? Depressed? In despair? Filled with self-pity? Too burdened to pray? Do you ever temporarily lose your faith in God? Have you ever doubted that he would provide? Have you ever been mentally or physically or spiritually exhausted? Well, I for one have. Right? And I think if you're honest with yourself, I think it, pretty much everyone has. And I think that's the point of including this in Scripture, is that God will provide even when we see it and when we don't see it. And that he'll provide in a way because he's got a plan and we don't know his entire plan. We know the part that in the season that we're in and going through those times of depression and despair and anxiety is a time stamp in his plan, but right when we're going through it is really tough. Uh, there was a time in my wife, uh, my, there was a time in my life when my wife and I had pretty much experienced all those bullet points that we had. Um, first of all, we were, we were just had got married. Uh, we had, a couple years later, um, found Trinity. Um, we joined an amazing small group. Um, everything was going great. He was providing. He gave 
us a house in the community we wanted to live in. He got me a job in the community I want to live in. My wife was, uh, got a great job and had continued to work at a great place. And I, we felt like Elijah did in the beginning of the chapter. Like, we, you know, no, nothing could go wrong, right? Because we, we, we thought that was God's plan for, for everything to be um, just happy and perfect. <clears throat> and then, if you remember the story of the perfect storm uh, that was in Gloucester, three storms came together, unexplainable, the same exact time. They still can't explain it. And, um, and raised havoc in those, uh, the, the fishermen's lives. We had our own personal storm of our own. Um, we had announced that we were going to start having children. You know, proud, pray for us, our small group, we're going to have children. You know, we, this is when we want to have them. This is, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to have them with you at the same time. We're going to grow up at the same age. It's going to be awesome. And then un- unexplained infertility comes to my wife and I. And basically, when you're a scientist by degree, unexplained doesn't work it to you, right? I, I want to know why. I want to know how so I can fix it. The doctor said, we can't explain it. just not happening. So for four years, we tried to get pregnant. It was tough. My wife was depressed. I was scared we weren't going to have children. I was filled with self-pity. Look at all the children around us. Look at everybody getting pregnant. This is amazing. Not really. We can't get pregnant. God, I've been faithful to you. I've done what you've done. I'm in a small group. I'm in a beautiful church. I go every week and worship you. I pray to you daily. Nothing. Silence and silence. We had our first miscarriage. Went back into that cave. Depressed. My poor wife. Twice as much as me. I was too burdened to pray at that time. Why do I need to pray? It hasn't worked in the last year. It hasn't worked in the last two years. Why am I going to pray for something? You know my prayer, God. Right? Started to lose my faith that he could listen to just me. Had forgot about the Wonder Bread truck, forgot about the rocks, forgot about all the other provisions, having a a mother of faith raise me uh, and put faith in my life. The second thing was I had gone an investment property with somebody. Didn't go in the right way. He ended up taking a lot of money from me. Same time, infertility. Taking a lot of money from me. How are we going to get out of this? We're going to sell our house to move to a different house. And the recession hits. Same time. Our house dropped $100,000 in a month and a half. I not only lost money in investment, our house just dropped to 100,000, and we can't have children. Why are we going to move to another house if we can't fill the rooms? And then the worst of all, which you, you all know the story, is my mom at the same time came down with stage four cancer. <clears throat> so I felt like Elijah. I really, my wife and I, we were done. We really just wanted to go into a cave, push all our small group friends away from us, 
not talk to anybody, having a hard time praying together. We were basically strained and we had had it. And I think, I, I use a story not to anything with me to say I had it tough because I know that every single one of you at some point in your life have been through a perfect storm or you're going through that perfect storm right now or you're going to have a perfect storm ahead of you. And that we have to remember the big plan and how we come together and have hope through Jesus to get us through it. Because even some of the greatest people that we know about in Scripture has been through that, that time, that perfect storm. And can we show that? Um, the verses, uh, even the Apostle Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. How would you like to hear that? If you ask God that. You know, all these four things happened to me, and if I prayed and I actually could audibly hear, my grace is enough. It's hard to swallow when you're going through tough times. But to actually know that that is enough is where we can actually overcome those challenges. And then Jesus even said, my soul is consumed with sorrow when he's on the cross to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But it's not my will, it is yours. So, I mean, even Jesus cried out, like, can I skip this next trial I'm going to go through? And he felt that, the burden that he was going to carry. So, when usually we reverse what it says, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Right? In all these times. And Elijah's in a cave, and, a lot, and God's, he uses the uh, symbolism of a hurricane and a storm and wind, you know, because God usually speaks and comes out in these powerful ways. Right? Right? Here I am. But in this moment, as we be still and listen, God whispers, where are you? Where are you right now? Why are you in this cave? Why are you in self-pity? Why are you depressed? For you know what I can do, what I have done, and what will come. Why, where are you? So I ask all of you, where are you right now? And as you think about that to yourself, if you're battling depression, if you're scared of something, if you're battling addiction... Do you have anxiety that overrules you? Do you have the energy to pray? It's okay. It's okay. He gave Elijah the power to overcome things. He gave him water in a stream. He gave him food from a bird's mouth. He defeated his enemies. He defeated culture. He gave him strength to overcome everything. And then he gave Elijah a new purpose and a new direction. And that's what he does. If you can see that, and if we can see that our brothers and sisters in Christ, that he's going to give you a new purpose or a new direction, and that his plan's not finished when you're in that cave, it will give you the hope to move on and to get out of that and to be with one another 
and to love one another. If you look back <clears throat> through that perfect storm that I was going in, my wife and I, we, it's always easy to look back and press the rewind button and see how he's provided, but it's really hard to see when you're going through it. <clears throat> he provided us with a loving church family. Been here almost 20 years. Would never go anywhere. He provided us with prayer warriors that were praying for us intensely. He provided a small group today that means the life to us, that prayed for us, that came and lifted us up when we were down to encourage us and be with us. And he eventually brought us two beautiful children, Hannah and Cameron. Praise God. But he basically brought us closer to God through the whole thing. And that's what needs to happen when we go through these trials, is that we remember what he does and that we grow closer to him. He doesn't have to pr produce these miracles right now. For his plan is written, and we know what the ending is. We know <clears throat> that someone died on the cross to handle all our issues. And when he died, in that hour that he wanted to pass was so consumed in sorrow that Jesus Christ and the big plan was shown. And the big plan was he died for us and our hope continues, our life needs to continue, and that he will always provide for us no matter what we have going on in our life. And I'll just say that Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Thank you. Will you all stand up together? We're going to go ahead and receive the benediction. And like he said, part of community, worship team, you guys can stay where you are. Not today. Um, <laughs> thank you for your willingness. Um, but uh, part of what we need is part of being a community is we do need those people to remind us of how good he is. Uh, and right after I give the benediction, we have prayer partners up front, people who, whatever you say up here stays here, who would love to pray with you if you're in the middle of a season, um, like what Derek was talking about. If you're feeling that cave kind of moment, these people would love to pray with you, but really, they're happy to pray with you for anything that's on your heart. And if you could just line up in the center aisle, come and see any of them, uh, then we would love, love, love to pray with you. But uh, with that said, can you all raise your hands? Uh, to receive the benediction. And Derek, thank you so much. Thank you so much for just sharing your heart with us today. As those who have been given life itself, and given the life of our Savior, that we might live, may we open our eyes to see all the ways that He is at work, and may He continue to build us up to be His people. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Prayer